0: Bartels is a debut suspense novelist. Um, he caught my eye because his proposal had the Stephen James endorsement already in our at and studio. Zachary Bartels is with us, the author of Playing Saints. The saints come marching in, the power of faith and the reality of evil, and uh, we've got Zachary Bartels with us today. There are a lot of really good Christian novels out there. They're just not published by Christian companies or advertised as Christian novels. For years of declining sales, Family Christian Stores announced on Friday that it will be permanently closing all 240 of its stores by the end. Well, what's fascinating about the Christian market, though, is that the big five don't dominate uh, outside <laughs> of Harvard <laughs> And the 2015 Carol Award for the New Novel is presented to Kate president for such a time as this. Writing Christian fiction, exclusively Christian-type fiction, is not where you want to be right now. Okay. This is Clinch, a podcast of fiction and not fiction. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible, English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of good news publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. My friends, that is not fiction. That is not fake news. That is good news. Good news of great joy, and I hope you are filled with great joy this week as we anticipate Christmas, the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. I am excited as I anticipate our Christmas Eve service at Judson Baptist Church right up here in the capital city of America's High Five. That's when we have the biggest crowd of the year uh, at my church. And we have a candlelight service and it's beautiful and it's full of music and traditions and beautiful quiet moments. And I hope you have a tradition like that to look forward to. And if you don't, I hope you establish one this year. And now let me share with you the fiction that I have this week. Like last week, it's a short story. Only, unlike last week, it's a super long short story, and uh, it's one that I wrote a couple years ago and put out in that little double header. God rest G-Motor City. This one sort of combines the secret society Vatican agent priests from The Last Con with the sort of secret society Vatican agent priests from Playing Saints and Playing Saint All Souls Day. Uh, in fact, it's kind of a companion story to Playing Saint All Souls Day, in that it fills in some missing information and tells us what the Jesuits militant were up to uh, during part of that that book. So I hope you enjoy this story, and again, I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. (music) Crying He Makes, a story of the Jesuits militant. When people say they're flying out of Detroit, they're really not. The International Airport is actually located in Romulus, Michigan, a smallish city, 25 minutes drive from Detroit proper. It was there that Father Sasha Katrakas and Joe Duncan were hoping to catch not a plane, but two secretive Vatican agents on layover whose connecting flight had been delayed quite by design. The drive-in had taken longer than usual, and their search of the sprawling airport longer still. In a moment of frustration, Sasha had removed his tab collar, something he rarely did in public, before sheepishly replacing it and crossing himself. "'There,' the priest said, pointing to a booth belonging to a crowded chain coffee shop, spilling out into the concourse. "'The protege. But who's that with him? He's no priest.' "'Duncan consulted a tablet computer, flipping his way through several files. "'He wore a very serious gray suit, offset by a red necktie, "'the knot of which was perfectly dimpled. "'Found him,' he said, pointing at a dossier. "'Parker Saint, formerly prominent pastor from Grand Rapids, "'now better known for his role in taking down a man the press had dubbed "'the Blackjack Killer.'" Hmm. "'Father Sasha mopped his damp, graying hair back off his forehead,' And based on his present company, we can assume he had help in that matter. What do you think? Should we approach him now, or wait until we locate his mentor? Now is fine. The voice came from behind them, bringing a start from Sasha, but not Duncan. Father Ignatius, Sasha said, dipping his head slightly. It's been some time. It has. The old priest wore full clericals, crisp and without wrinkle, in contrast to his disheveled white hair, wizened skin, and untamed eyebrows. "'You should know better than to sneak up on one of the Jesuits' militants,' Duncan shrugged. "'You sneaked up on us?' Ignatius frowned. "'Sasha, you should keep a tether on this layman, or he may find himself subject to discipline.' Duncan met his gaze, wordlessly, for what felt like much longer than it was, while Father Sasha, six inches shorter than either of them, nervously checked his watch. I'm afraid we're on a bit of a schedule, he finally said. As are we. Our flight will be boarding in a few minutes. This has been pleasant. Perhaps we can do it again sometime. I'm afraid your flight's been delayed by six hours, Duncan said, biting down a smile, and that we haven't just happened upon you today. Ignatius nodded thoughtfully. The plane. You're doing? I'd rather not say. Unusual for a night of Malta. Your order is typically so eager to trumpet its little victories, especially when they involve subterfuge and... We need your help, Sasha blurted. We need you to come back with us, to the city, Ignatius scowled. I see. He craned his neck, peering around Duncan to where Father Michael and Parker were well into their third frothed-over coffee drinks. It seems we may have some time on our hands, thanks to you. If it will serve the Holy Church, we will help you. Thank you, Father Sasha said, letting out a sigh of relief. But first, you have to apologize. Duncan folded his arms over his chest. And what wrong have we allegedly done? Not you personally, uh, your order. The Knights of Malta acted shamefully, treacherously against us, and now it seems you need us. You can't possibly be angry about the Jesuits being expelled from Malta. Duncan laughed. That was 250 years ago. That's absurd. The deep lines in the older priest's brow deepened, but he said nothing. We are sorry, Father Sasha said, with a little too much conviction. You're right. It was uncharitable and underhanded, hardly becoming of us. Ignatius grunted. Exactly what I'd expect from an order that puts laymen above priests, Let's collect young Michael and be on our way. He strode over to the booth, spry for his apparent age, and placed a hand on the young priest's shoulder. We are needed elsewhere, my son. Father Michael drained his coffee. All right, then. He slid his athletic frame from the booth and gave Parker the briefest of hugs, more a chest bump and whack than a real embrace. Good to catch up. Tell the wife I said hi and let me know how this thing works out, he indicated the file folder. Parker offered his hand to Ignatius, who clasped it firmly and resisted his attempt to shake it. Christ be with you, Protestant, he said, and good luck with the serial killer. You say that like it's normal. As long as I've known you, it has been. Parker chuckled darkly and walked off toward short-term parking. Michael hefted his carry-on to his shoulder. What's up? he asked his companion. The Knights of Malta need us. (laughs) Good one, Michael chuckled. Seriously, though. What's up? I heard you had been defrocked, Father Michael said from the backseat of the Impala, his first words since leaving the airport. Yes, Father Sasha answered. An awkward silence spread through the car for a few seconds before he added, I was refrocked. Michael checked his watch. Quarter of six. It was already dark the joint product of daylight savings time and the tilt of the earth in relation to Michigan on December 21st, the longest night of the year. He surveyed their surroundings. The neighborhood had been steadily declining for at least 10 minutes as they'd driven deeper into the city. The young priest habitually touched his fingers to his side where his Colt 1911 would be if it weren't locked in his luggage in the belly of a grounded plane. Where are we headed? A church, Sasha answered from the passenger seat. Just up ahead here, the next street. Stop. Now. Michael was opening the door and stepping out of the car, even as Duncan pulled to the curb. What are you doing? Duncan called. A kid, Michael shot over his shoulder. He backtracked to the last street they'd passed, rounded the corner, and locked in on his target, a pale man in a puffy red jacket, wearing shorts in late December. The man had a broken beer bottle in one hand and the collar of a young boy in the other. Hey! Father Michael called, the word jetting visibly from his mouth in the cold air. Tag me in, kid! You lost, father, the thug said, glancing at Michael with beady eyes barely visible beneath a stocking cap. Private matter. Kid owes us money. You want no part of this. You called me father, Michael said, taking another step toward him. Now I'm bound to offer you some spiritual guidance. He leaned back, easily avoiding the jagged glass, and snapped his knuckles up under the man's ribs. The bottle flew out into the street with a harmless tink, and the man went down to one knee. He cursed. Father Michael glanced up, expecting to see the kid disappearing into the distance. Instead, he stood planted there, a bewildered grin plastered to his face. The thug was rising now, a chintzy 9mm gangbanger special in his hand. Michael tensed. Disarming this Zero would be nothing, less than nothing, but the kid was six feet away, which complicated things. The sound of approaching footsteps echoed in from behind him, and for just a second, the man's vacant eyes flickered off into the distance. It was all the opening Michael needed. He sprang forward and jerked the man's hat down over his face, securing it there with a fist. The gun came up, swinging blindly. Michael trapped the man's wrist, broke the pistol from his grip, and dumped him on the concrete in a heap. Impressive, Duncan said, striding up to the prone form of the thug. Behind him, Ignatius seemed to catch himself smiling proudly and resumed his standard scowl. Duncan stooped down and pulled the knit cap from over the man's head, revealing a broken nose burbling blood. He produced a badge from his belt and said, "Name's Special Agent Duncan, FBI, and you just assaulted a young boy and a priest on a city street with three witnesses, two of whom are also priests, and one of whom is a federal agent. He chuckled. Sure you don't want to steal some candy from a baby while you're at it? Maybe punch a kitten in the face, Michael offered. I've got this, Father Michael. Thanks. Flashing blue lights filled the street and an unmarked car pulled to a stop near them. A rumpled man in a cheap suit emerged. He walked up to the odd crowd, gestured at the bloodied man at the center of it all, and asked simply, So what's this? Duncan stood and again displayed the badge. Agent Duncan, FBI. And you are... Marion, narcotics. I thought I recognized you. My partner and I worked with you on that Canadian pipeline thing last year. You remember?' Duncan nodded. "'I do. And to answer your question, our friend here just assaulted this priest and this child before being subdued. "'What child?' Duncan looked back where the kid had been. Must have gotten scared and ran. "'Yeah, kids do that in this neighborhood.' Detective Marion nudged the perp with his foot. "'So you want me to book this guy or what?' Duncan rubbed his chin. Fortunately for this young man, we're on a bit of a schedule and don't have time to give statements and deal with the logistics of an arrest, so unless he wants to file a complaint against us... The thug shook his head no and wiped his bleeding nose on his sleeve. The detective pulled him to his feet. Hey, I know who you are, punk. I don't want to see you around here again, understand? The man nodded, pulled his blood-stained stocking cap back on, and took off running. Marion watched him disappear down an alley half a block away, then turned back to Duncan. So I gotta ask, uh, what's with the priests? The Bureau changing things up? Duncan courtesy chuckled. Uh, no, these men are friends of mine. We were just on our way to St. Lambert's Church. Thought they'd close that place down. It's complicated. Anyway, it was nice to see you again, Detective. We'd better be going. Words of the wise, Marion said. "'You priests stay close to this guy. "'This neighborhood is an open sewer. "'Drugs are everywhere all of a sudden, "'and we can't pinpoint this source. "'Homicides are up, believe me. "'Those collars won't protect you anymore. "'I think you've learned the hard way. "'They'll just advertise that you're an easy target.' "'Truly a shame,' Father Ignatius said. "'We'll be careful. "'Thank you for your concern.' "'No problem. "'But trust me, careful won't even cut it. Heck, lately even the Blessed Virgin is fair game. "'Seems like God has left the building.' He waved and got back into his car, killing the blue light and driving off. The Blessed Virgin? Michael repeated. What a weird thing to say, right? That's a weird guy right there. Duncan sighed. If you follow me, I'll show you what he meant. They began plodding down the sidewalk in the direction they'd been driving. Did you keep the gun? Yeah, Michael answered. It's a piece of junk, though. Jenner 9mm, mass-produced weapon of choice for thugs and losers, always jamming up, misfiring. Well, I didn't see a thing, Duncan said, clearing his throat. So that badge is real, huh? Michael asked. Of course. I have one sort of like it, but it doesn't say FBI. It says SOJ for Society of Jesus. Most people don't look very closely at it. They just make assumptions and tell us what we want to know. Duncan shook his head and picked up the pace. One of the advantages of being a lay order, Father Michael, is that the Knights of Malta have members in almost every agency, military, and government. We don't need to impersonate law enforcement, which is good, since unlike you Jesuit militants, we can't hide behind diplomatic immunity as Vatican envoys. Here's the church, just up ahead. The boxy, nondescript building, three stories tall, was only identifiable as a church by a single metallic cross mounted between two windows, which were, like all the building's windows, boarded up. So it has been closed down. Father Sashin nodded. The parish was merged with St. John the Baptist and the building deconsecrated two months ago. And I imagine, Ignatius said, that it's hard to sell a building this size in this neighborhood. Yeah, there was only one prospective buyer, but unfortunately they couldn't secure a loan. Fascinating, Michael said dryly, mounting the steps to the front entrance. So why are we here? Remind me never to watch a movie with you, Duncan said, holding the door open. What is that supposed to mean? They followed Father Sasha through a door into a stairwell. Seriously, what what do you mean by that? They arrived in a large open hall in the church basement, converted into a makeshift auditorium, complete with dais, podium, and about 200 chairs. This is why we're here, Sasha said, stepping up onto the platform. There's a group still meeting here, Father Ignatius observed. The Broadmoor Burmese Community Church, about 175 Christians, all refugees, and growing each week. Protestants, Ignatius said under his breath. At least the church has been deconsecrated. Ignore him, Michael said. So this Chinese church, are they squatting? Burmese, Duncan corrected. And no, not exactly. The church is really the only thing going for this immediate neighborhood in the midst of all the drug traffic and violence, which I'm afraid Detective Marion was possibly understating. Despite being refugees themselves, they feed a hundred people a week, among other ministries. They've got very little savings and no credit to rent a facility, and no one else has offered them anywhere near enough space. The young boy from the street, Ignatius said. He was Burmese, no? Father Sasha nodded. I suspect so. Most of them live in tenement housing a block away. So the diocese, they just keep paying the bills? Michael asked. Utilities, insurance, inspections... At the moment, yes, Sasha said, because of this. He gestured at a large, very 70s nativity scene. Mary, Joseph, and Child arranged to the right of the pulpit. This set belonged to St. Lambert's, and it was set up outside until two weeks ago, when, as the detective alluded to, all of the Marys in the neighborhood began to disappear. Huh, I've heard of frat boys stealing the baby Jesus, Michael said, but never Mary. Well, it's because of Jesus that we've brought you here today, my Jesuit friends, Duncan said. Oh, Michael nodded knowingly. You guys don't know Jesus? Okay, let me see, where to start? Father Michael, Ignatius said, pointing at the babe in the manger. Look. What? The young priest approached the figure slowly. The statue's left hand was reaching out, index finger extended like his father's on the chapel ceiling. The paint rubbed from the fingertip to reveal the aluminum beneath, as though it had been worn smooth by the touch of countless pilgrims. "'All right, I'm trying not to make an E.T. joke here,' Michael started to say, but then he noticed the tears streaming down the baby's cheeks. "'Oh. That's why the Burmese church is still here,' Duncan said." A miracle was reported to the diocese, triggering an investigation. You know as well as I how long that can take, and their congregation will continue to meet here in the meantime. Michael nodded. Any chance this is a ruse on their part? A way to keep the space a little longer? It is possible, Duncan said. The tears first started flowing two days before the group was to vacate. Now they have an indefinite reprieve from that. And the prospective buyer you were talking about, the one who couldn't get a down payment together... Yeah, it was the Burmese Church. They did their best to raise funds, but in six months, they only succeeded in gathering $30,000. The Knights of Malta offered a grant of another 10000 but the church grounds encompassed this entire block, and neither the newly formed congregation nor its refugee members have much in the way of credit. The bank rejected their loan as too risky, and said they wouldn't reconsider unless the church brought $125,000 to the table. Later that same day, the tears were first discovered. Seems like you could just give them the building, Michael mumbled. Believe me, I would, Sasha said, but these things are above my pay grade. Father Ignatius grunted. Neither Father Michael nor myself is in a place to question the decisions of the church. We do, however, wonder what your purpose was in bringing us here. Your reputation, Sasha said, gesturing at the baby Jesus. Your team is known for authenticating or debunking this sort of thing. When we were three... Ignatius said, no longer. Sasha nodded solemnly. I heard about Father Xavier. My condolences. And I did not realize that he possessed all your expertise on the matter. I see they haven't replaced him. Michael scoffed. No, seems like we're being phased out. It is true, Ignatius said. Even with a Jesuit in the chair, I'm afraid young Michael will be the last Jesuit militant to take the oath. There was a moment of mourning for the old ways. (laughs) That killed the mood, Michael said. He hefted the baby Jesus from the aluminum manger and looked it over. I don't see anything weird. I mean, Xavier would have had a whole lab constructed by now and been running all sorts of tests, but to me it looks solid. Huh. The tears stopped when I picked it up. That's something. Although they don't seem to be coming out of any holes or anything. Like condensation, maybe? Father Sasha and Duncan exchanged a disappointed look. "'Well,' Sasha said, "'I'm sorry that we—' "'Ah, we have company!' A well-dressed young man smiled his way into the room. "'Good to see you, fathers. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Biak, the pastor of BBCC.' His accent was light and his step lighter. "'Pardon me if we've met before. You people all look the same to me,' he laughed at his own joke. "'Nice to meet you, Biak. I'm Father Michael.' He cradled the babe like a football and gave the pastor's hand a pump. I see you're looking at our little miracle. Are you here to authenticate it? I'm afraid not, Sasha said. These men are just friends. Where's Pastor Chong? Chong was called to a church in Indianapolis, Bjak exclaimed. I am his replacement. Another man, clad in work clothes, came rushing into the room, speaking a mile a minute in Burmese. He gestured at the priests, at Biak, and repeatedly at the aluminum Jesus in Michael's hands as his voice grew in volume. Biak answered him, meeting his intensity, causing him to fall begrudgingly silent. Biak smiled apologetically. He said you should not be handling these things because they are holy things. I explained that the nativity belongs to you and that you are holy men. In the distance, Michael saw something moving. Someone beckoned him from the mouth of a hallway at the far end of the basement, beneath a restrooms sign. The kid from the street. I need your facilities, he said to Biak. You you need what? Restroom. Sure, just over there. Michael found the boy hiding in a toilet stall. He's not our pastor, the boy said. And that man wasn't angry you were touching the baby Jesus. He's a deacon and he was asking you to make Biak go away. We all want him to go away. Really? If he's not your pastor, who is he? He works with Cutter. Who? The guy you beat up. They sell drugs from the church when people come in for food, and they keep their money here. And Pastor Shrong isn't in Indianapolis. We don't know where he is. He disappeared one day, and the next day, Biak showed up. Once a week, Trong calls one of us and tells us to do whatever Biak says, but he does not sound happy, and he will never say where he is. You think Biak has done something to him. Yes, everyone is afraid of him, except me. Father Michael smiled. Is that why he sent his friend after you? The boy puffed out his chest. I took some of their money. I found where they kept it in the bell tower, and I took 10% and put it in the poor box. If they do their business in a church, at least they have to tithe. (laughs) How much was 10%? $4,200. I should have taken all of it. Then we could have bought the building. But with Biak here, there's no point. The kid clenched his fists in frustration. I don't suppose they still keep their money in the bell tower? No, they moved it. I don't know where, but if I find it, I'll take all of it. Michael grinned. What's your name, kid? Van. Well, Van, this cutter guy. You know where he lives? Yeah, in a big old house, only a block from me and my mom. Father Michael rubbed his jaw. You think you can get outside without being seen? What was so important, Father Ignatius, Duncan asked, that was a rather rude exit. They stood at the corner near the rear of the church, having been not so subtly herded out by the old Jesuit. I'm not sure. Father Michael used a code phrase, indicating that we needed to leave. The three men looked at him, expectantly. Hold on, here he comes, Michael said. Van was running stealthily up from the side of the church building. Okay, kid, how far to this Cutter's place, he asked. They walked about two blocks through the night, in and out of the streetlights, though more out than in, as the city had removed every other bulb, a cost-saving measure, Father Sasha explained. As they walked, Michael filled the others in on what Van had told him. Van pointed at an apartment building. Me and my mom live there, he said, and Cutter lives there. The house was leaning slightly to the left and shedding paint. Okay, Van, we're going to pay Cutter a little visit. I need you to promise me you'll go home and lock the door. Stay inside, okay? Okay, he said, and took off running. The four men surveyed the dilapidated house from across the street, standing in the void between streetlights. Looks empty, Michael said. Let's have a look inside. Can't do that, Duncan said. I have to have probable cause to go in without a warrant. Like, say, if someone was breaking in? Michael asked. "'Don't even—' "'Give me two minutes.' Michael jogged off around the block, cut between two houses, and jumped the fence into Cutter's backyard. At the rear of the house, he found a storm cellar locked with a chain and padlock. From his pocket, he retrieved a small leather manicure kit he'd stashed in his carry-on, a trick Father Ignatius had taught him, to camouflage his lockpick set. He quickly found the right pick and tension wrench and had the doors open within a minute.' Michael dropped into the basement and clicked on a small LED flashlight. The beam made a sweep around the unfinished basement. He pulled out his phone and dialed Ignatius. Hey, I'm in the basement. No drug lab or anything. Just a couch and a TV, video games, a freezer, a cot. I'm going to head upstairs. He silently ascended the steps to the first floor, stepping out into a grimy kitchen Four pizza boxes were stacked on a chip-for-mica table, surrounded by dozens of empty booze bottles. Passing into the living room, he stopped short. Whoa. What is it? Ignatius asked. I think I know what happened to all the Marys in the neighborhood. There were almost twenty of them. Lined up in two rows on either side of the room, varying in size and material, all crossing their arms over their breasts, treasuring this bare, bleak house in their hearts. And I think I got a verdict on our alleged miracle. He squeezed the phone between his head and shoulder, freeing both hands. Looks like our guy was practicing on these statues, trying to perfect the crying game. <laughs> the crying game, get it? What? Never mind. Father Michael tipped a lightweight plastic Mary back to reveal a large, dry cell, some tubes, and a motor housed inside the hollow figure. He connected a loose wire to the battery's positive contact, and the motor began to whine, sending a stream of tears down the Madonna's cheeks from two rather obvious pinholes. Looks like these are some early attempts, Michael said. Pretty rough work. He turned his attention to the next one, a more expensive acrylic model. A toggle switch turned this one on and brought a thicker red substance flowing from her eyes. Oh, that's super creepy. Why would anyone... You know what? Don't bother coming in, guys. Place is dead. I'll be out in a minute. Michael emerged back out the basement, replaced the chain on the cellar doors, and circled back to the others. So they were working on a few different prototypes in there, he reported. Some even cried blood. Look at this stuff. He handed Duncan a half-liter glass bottle. Might be some fingerprints there for you. Stuff's called Ultraviolet Red Dye Gel number 14, so my question is, like, do the tears glow in the dark? That's a little Trent Resner, am I right? The three men stared back at him. Anyway, I'm thinking Biak and this cutter guy had a good thing going with that church, a nice cover for their illegal activities, so they wanted to keep it in play as long as possible. Kind of a clever move, you ask me. Not much is slower than church bureaucracy, and when the diocese finally catches on, they can just abandon the place and start dealing somewhere else. There was a murmur of agreement, and Michael added, I'd like to have a few words with this biak guy. Someone should keep an eye on the house as well, Father Sasha said, in case one of them returns. I'm very concerned with the disappearance of Pastor Strong. I'll stay, Father Ignatius offered. Not a good idea, Duncan said. You heard, Detective Marion. That collar won't protect you in this neighborhood. What if someone attacks you? Michael laughed. Then they'll get trounced by an old man, which, ironically, never gets old. At least take this. Well, at least take this. Duncan pulled up his pant leg and drew his backup pistol, holding it out to the old Jesuit. Thank you, Agent Duncan. I'll wait at the bus stop here. Should anyone arrive, I'll call you. "'I'll uh, I'll wait with you,' Michael offered. "'No, you'll go with them.' "'You forget, Father Ignatius. "'The Secretary General may have put you in charge for our last assignment, "'but this one's off the books. "'Neither of us is in charge. "'Weird, right?' "'My son, this cutter has seen your face up close,' Ignatius said. "'Besides, someone needs to keep an eye on the Knights of Malta. "'The last time we looked away, they had us expelled from the island and took our college.' Yeah, but what was that, like 250 years ago? Yes, Ignatius said, his eyes stern. Okay, uh, I'll go with them. But you text me if anything happens, and I will be here in a second. Ignatius nodded. What is his deal? Duncan asked as the three of them made their way back to the church. His deal? Michael echoed. He's the greatest priest, no, scratch that, the greatest man I've ever known. That's his deal. You know what I mean, Duncan persisted. It's like he's stuck in the Middle Ages. Yeah, isn't it awesome? Father Ignatius had been sitting at the bus stop only 15 minutes when Cutter appeared from the direction of the church and let himself in the front door of the house. The priest considered calling Father Michael, but knowing that such a call would bring the whole trio tromping back, decided against it. Better to get a look at what was happening inside, perhaps a little one-on-one time with the young hoodlum. Based on what he'd seen earlier, it would not be too difficult to extract the information they wanted. Our friend from street, now home, having a closer look, he texted, all caps, only missing the stop that would have made it a full-on telegram. He circled around, just as Michael had earlier, and entered through the basement. The church doors were still unlocked, though there was no one in the Burmese worship space. Returning to the baby Jesus, they found him crying once again. Michael held his ear up to the figure, listening intently for the faint sound of a pump or motor, but heard nothing. "'I say we search this place for the cash hoard,' he said. "'We get that, we have some leverage.' And I'm thinking if they peddle their junk here and they were keeping the cash here, it's probably a convenience thing, meaning there's a good chance it's still somewhere in the building. Father Sasha, did the church have a safe? The old priest thought for a moment. No. What about the host? Did they keep it somewhere secure that they might have repurposed? His blood boiled at the thought of drug money languishing where the consecrated bread of Holy Communion had once been kept, deconsecrated or not. The host was reserved in a beautiful locked tabernacle, but that was removed when the altar was stripped. He held up a short finger. There is an Ambry on the wall, though, where they kept anointing oil. I believe it also locks. Worth a look, Michael said. They made their way up to the bare nave of the church and onto what had been the sanctuary. The door to the Ambry hung wide open, revealing nothing inside. You're back, came Beok's voice, the kindness having now left it. He sauntered in from a set of double doors near the front of the nave. Is there something I can do for you gentlemen? Duncan pulled his badge out again and half waved it in the man's face. We're just trying to find where you keep the drug money, Biak. Having adjusted his eyes to the low light, Ignatius made his way along the block wall. For all of Michael's strengths, the young man was still not as observant as he should be, and when he had the chance, Ignatius usually double-checked his work. Apart from the entertainment center, the only appliance in the basement was a large chest freezer. Father Ignatius had encountered a nearly identical freezer in a basement two years earlier and discovered a frozen, frost-bitten corpse inside. He cracked the lid, expecting the worst. No light came on, and no cold escaped. Ignatius opened the lid entirely. Inside were military MREs, freeze-dried rations, as well as handcuffs, ropes, several rolls of duct tape, and two cases of water. Father Ignatius pulled the small revolver from his waistband and in that same moment felt a presence behind him. Someone was there. Someone who must have been there all along. He turned quickly, just in time to see the 2x4 connect with his face. The floor came up to meet him. "'Drug money?' Biak screwed up his face. "'What are you talking about?' "'Duncan pulled back his coat, revealing his sidearm. "'Keep your hands where I can see them, preacher.' "'I have no idea what—' "'Don't be coy,' Father Michael chided. "'You work with that wannabe gangster, Cutter. "'You forced your way into the church, "'intimidated these people, "'and now you're using the place "'as your own private drug store. "'Just one question, though. "'Where's the money? "'And what'd you do with the old pastor? "'So, two questions, I guess.' It's true, Detective Marion said, coming in through the same door. He was massaging his neck. They're using the church as a front, but you're missing an important piece. Biak's my informant. You see, Pastor Strong didn't tolerate drug activity in and around his church. He made some noise, even confronted some dealers, and they took a shot at him. Now we've got him in protective custody. And we're getting close to taking the whole operation down, so I'm asking you, Agent Duncan, I'm begging you, don't arrest anybody yet. Let this thing ride. Michael's phone buzzed. He glanced at the text. Cutter's home, he said. Maybe we should all have a word with him. The cop waved his hand dismissively. That punk is nothing. Street level. We're in this for the big fish. They're moving a lot of drugs in this neighborhood with no competition. Trust me, that takes more than a couple punks. That takes some real muscle. Cutter was dragging Ignatius up the stairs by the ankle. In his years of service in El Mundo de Operaciones Especiales and his decades with the Jesuits militant, he had been knocked down many times, but he'd never been knocked unconscious. And it was killing him that this street trash had come the closest to date to breaking that unblemished record. The priest was woozy, docile, going in and out. The only thing he could focus on was Cutter's right arm with its ugly purple veins showing through the skin, dragging him up a step at a time like a bag of concrete mix. Thud, thud, thud. The next thing he knew, he was in the living room amidst all the blessed virgins. He could hear the electric pumps whirring and he could feel something around his wrists and ankles. He had passed out. Determining not only to humble this unspeakably lucky and undisciplined whelp, but also to never, ever tell anyone about this, Ignatius gave his head a quick shake, instantly regretting it as a wall of pain collapsed in on his skull. Surveying his situation, he found that he was in an antique chair, rather a nice piece, actually, his wrists secured to the wooden arms with a few heavy-duty plastic ties, and his ankles liberally duct-taped to the front legs of the chair. "'Should have sent your friend,' the young tough said. "'That kung fu priest. He's got some moves. "'But you, old man, you got nothing. "'Funny, I only came back here to burn this place down. "'Now I get to burn it down with you in it, and your friend is next.' "'He laughed and smashed his fist into the side of the priest's head, "'knocking him and the chair over. "'But you don't have to burn up alone. "'You can hail Mary and Mary and Mary and Mary all the way around. "'Look how sad they are for you.' Breaks my heart. His vision swimming a little less, Ignatius took in the sight of the stolen Marys, all crying, some of them transparent tears, some of them appearing to weep blood. A few of them glowed from within. "'How did you know a crying statue would keep the church open?' he asked. "'My partner told me. Pretty smart, huh? But we weren't the only ones who thought of it. That foreigner pastor must have had the same idea, beat us to the punch.' He picked up a red plastic gas can from behind a brown-skinned Mary. "'This one was my favorite,' he said, indicating the large fiberglass figure. "'I would have put her in the church.' "'Oh, well.' He sloshed gas onto the statue and then across the room to the other row of weeping virgins. Then he disappeared behind Ignatius. The smell of the fumes was nauseating and overpowering. Three minutes later, Cutter reappeared, now back in the puffy red jacket. "'I wouldn't bother praying, Father.' he said. Fire department doesn't come out for abandoned houses around here. You see, when they burn up, it saves the city the cost of tearing them down. In a few weeks, somebody might come sifting through the ashes and find you. Maybe. He pulled a book of matches from his pocket. By the way, that kid you rescued, he's in my trunk, tied up like what? I'ma use him to get your friends right where I want them, and then I'm gonna kill all of them. With your gun. How about that? Enjoy the barbecue. Gotta go. He struck a match and tossed it into the pool of gasoline. A moment later, Ignatius heard the back door slam shut. But what about the church? Michael asked. They're already struggling, they're going to lose their building, and now you're stringing them along like this as a pawn in your war on drugs? These people have been pawns in enough wars. Bjok snickered. "'Let me tell you something. In Burma, half my town went blind from drinking jet fuel. "'It's true. Someone stole a truck labeled power alcohol, and everyone who drank it lost his sight. "'Now, some of them have made it to America, where there is alcohol alcohol that won't steal your eyesight. "'But there are also these monsters who sell poison to children and get them hooked from a young age, "'even kill them if they get in the way. "'And people are just as blind as they were in my village. It needs to stop, father.' Yeah, that's great, Michael said, but we actually believe in something bigger. You let this church die on the vine, and it doesn't matter how many drug dealers you take down. Marion tipped his head toward the back of the church. I want to show you gentlemen something in the basement. Might change your mind. The heat of the flames was jostling for the air around Father Ignatius. You got nothing, old man. The words echoed in his ears. They would be his way out. Even after the beating Father Michael had handed him, the sight of a white-haired man in clericals filled the hoodlum with overconfidence. And the fact that he'd easily overpowered the priest had only cemented that, informing the way he had bound his hands and feet. Despite his recent defeat, though, Ignatius knew he was quicker and stronger than almost any man in his prime, perhaps even young Michael. The strength training regimen he'd begun decades earlier and continued every day of his life with the same religious zeal that drove his prayers and devotional reading had ensured him of that. He thought of how he must look, bloodied and beaten, attached to the chair, knocked carelessly to the ground, helpless while the fires advanced. Experimentally flexing first his left leg and then his right, then each arm, the old priest looked for a weakness— The chair was solidly built, American colonial, probably as old as the house, but it was just a wooden chair. The right arm, that was the weak point. In addition, his weight was resting on that arm, which he could use. Eight feet away, the first of the Marys began to melt, the pigments of her face blending into her red tears. Her mouth opened macabrely, drooping down to her waist. Others were beginning to melt as well. Sweat was pouring off of him now. If he couldn't break the chair, he might be able to slide his arm out from under the zip ties holding it there. That would take some skin with it, though. No, his pride had taken all the damage it would tonight. He began rhythmically pulsing his core muscles, focusing them down onto the point where the arm of the chair made contact with the oak floor while simultaneously pulling up with his arm. His clothing was getting hot, stinging him where it made contact with his flesh. One of the Mary's closest to him, made of something dangerously synthetic, burst into flames, producing an unnerving, high-pitched scream as it burned. His head swam. In just a few moments, the heat would overtake him, and the smoke would also begin to take its toll, even down here at the floor, where it was clearest. This could be it. After a long and successful career defending the church against heretics, frauds, persecutors, and all manners of demonic conspiracy, he would be snuffed out by Cutter the Street Youth, cooked like a Christmas ham. He could imagine the crowd gathering outside to watch the house burn, unaware of the man roasting within. Ignatius began the rhythmic flexing again, but with a fraction of the commitment. Despite the glowing flames, darkness enveloped him. He had always assumed he would die in the midst of glory, perhaps a martyr for the faith, or sacrificing his own life to save others. Failing that, he would have taken death at the hands of a worthy opponent, one who allowed him to smoke one last Monte Cristo. But this death would accomplish nothing, and leave young Michael with no one to train and guide him. A sudden crack sounded from beneath him, not unlike the crackling of the fire, but louder, closer. There was some give in the arm of the chair now, although it remained attached. Father Ignatius rallied, reciting a prayer for strength and endurance. He pushed the chair's weakened joint again until all at once it gave out, turning Ignatius another 90 degrees. Now face down to the hardwood floor, still taped and tied to the chair, he wondered if this was really progress. Marion led the group back down into the basement. Let me get the light, he said. As the fluorescent bulbs flickered on, they could see that many of the chairs had been cleared from the middle of the floor and a large plastic sheet had been spread out. There were three of you priests earlier, Marion said, coming up behind Duncan. Where's the other one? Biaq's eyes flashed back and forth between Michael and Duncan, something crazy flickering behind them. Let me ask you something first, Detective Marion, Duncan said. You mind if I see your badge? He rolled his forearm along his jacket, pulling it back from his weapon. My badge? Why? I showed you mine. You never showed me yours. That's not fair. You know I'm a cop. You said you remember me. I know you were a cop. But I also know that your friends were using UV ultraviolet red dye gel number 14 as tears for their statues. Thing is, I've only ever seen that particular dye used by law enforcement for marking suspects in riot situations. Stuff's not cheap, either. Where would these street punks procure such a thing? That got me thinking about cops who help themselves. Marion shifted from one foot to the other. His suit seemed to be rumpling more by the second. You see, Duncan continued, I don't think you have a badge. I knew your face was familiar, and from more than just that case a couple years back, I read about you. You were caught with your hand in the creamer, and they fired you. But no one around here knows that, do they? They've seen your badge and your gun and your flashing blue light, and they're all still afraid of what you could do to them. These poor refugees probably think you can throw them in jail without cause or send them back to Burma. Like you said, it takes muscle to move this much product, but that doesn't necessarily mean a lot of guys. (laughs) You think you know stuff, huh? Marion's hands were shaking as he rubbed them together. Then he locked eyes with Biak and gave a slight nod. Michael saw the gun coming up in the poser's hand and cleared his own weapon a half-second faster, or rather, Cutter's weapon. The piece of junk misfired. Biak got two shots into Duncan before Michael's hand snapped the gun from him and brought it hard into the man's throat. Drop it, Father, Marion ordered from behind him. Michael obeyed. What kind of priest are you? Father Michael smirked. You don't want to know. Just eight more feet to the kitchen, with its many drawers, at least one of which must contain a knife. Father Ignatius could feel the flames licking at his heels as he pushed himself up as high as he could with his now-freed right hand and lurched forward, gaining another foot and a half, but breaking the fall with his already raw right cheek. Behind him, something was loudly whistling and popping within the merry inferno. Three more lurches forward, and Ignatius was able to pull himself up, chair and all, by the kitchen counter. Beyond, the back wall and door of the house was engulfed in flames. Smoke was burning in his lungs. The kitchen countertop was bare, no knife block, no blades of any kind. He began rifling through drawers, turning up a kitchen towel, two bottle openers, a variety of lighters, and finally a pair of child's safety scissors. Thirty seconds later, Father Ignatius was free and forming a plan of escape. He held the towel under the faucet and turned the knob. Nothing. The flames were closing in now. O God, who knowest us to be in the midst of such great perils. Getting low to the ground beneath the brunt of the smoke, he found himself face to face with a cabinet door, that by reason of the weakness of our nature we cannot stand upright. A rare smile spread over the priest's lips as he spotted the fire extinguisher beneath the sink, then faded as he noticed the words, Replace, February 2006, more than ten years ago. Grant us such health of mind and body. He stood, spraying the foam into the flames, clearing a narrow path, that those evils which we now suffer for our sins we may overcome through thine assistance. The extinguisher sputtered and gave up the ghost, just as a large window came into view. He hurled the extinguisher through the glass as the flames began to move back in and took three steps back. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It would later occur to Father Ignatius that even with the pathetic amateurism that had marked his time in this house, jumping through fire out a window and landing with a tight roll amidst broken glass balanced the whole thing out. He stood and crossed himself, walking away from the inferno without looking back. Father Sasha knelt at Agent Duncan's side, praying fervently for him. He had rolled his friend onto his back, only to find his crisp white shirt soaked through with blood, the stain slowly expanding. Michael was on his knees as well, fingers interlaced behind his head as the disgraced detective and the imposter preacher had commanded. I'm going to ask again, Marion said. Where's the other priest? Michael smiled. You're right. That is absolutely what you need to be worried about right now. Where is Father Ignatius? He's dead, Cutter announced, sauntering into the church basement, his puffy jacket swooshing. He walked right up to Father Michael and pointed Duncan's backup piece in his face. I get to do this, guy. Sure, Marion said, but not yet. Where's the kid? In a trunk. I didn't know where we were doing this. Marion pursed his lips, thinking. Here's what we'll do. We take care of these Jesus freaks and the kid right here on the tarp, grab the money, and then burn this place down, too. Maybe we light a couple more houses, just to throw off the scent. We divvy up the cash, wait a couple months, and find a new base of operations. By then, demand will be higher than ever. Sound good? The two mooks nodded. What about Pastor Frang? Cutter asked. Fire and brimstone, Marion said. He'll be the first house we light up. This is going to bring some heat, so no one throwing money around. Take it easy. Remember what size cell you two would be rotting in if it weren't for me. Now go get the kid. Cutter mounted the stairs to the back entrance of the church and walked out into the frigid night. His car was parked at the curb in a dark spot. He looked around for witnesses and, seeing none, lifted the trunk lid. Empty. The kid had gotten out. Hello, my son. Cutter turned to find Father Ignatius, his face streaked with soot and blood, glaring at him. It's good to see you at church. Look, I know you're not a real pastor or anything, Biak, Michael said, but are you really okay with this? Killing priests, burning down a church, neither of you is worried about the toll this will take on your souls? It's no longer a church, Biak said, shrugging. It is to 175 Burmese Christians. You know that better than I do. Right, Marion said, and you people were ready to kick them out if it hadn't been for some bogus miracle. Church is a racket. He shook his head as if he thought it was a real shame. I mean, we got you two priests here praying away, and you can't help your friend, can you? He's bleeding out, and you're helpless. Father Sasha doubled the fervency of his prayers. I tell you what, the detective said. If you can get the big guy to fix Agent Duncan here, I'll let you all live. Heck, I'll let him cuff me. He waited silently for a moment, getting no response but the weak, pained gasps of the FBI agent. (laughs) Guess I don't have anything to worry about. He said. Then his mouth slowly fell open, wider and comically wider, as he watched Duncan stand up, shoulders back, and straighten his necktie over the blood soaked shirt. He smirked at Marion. Biak lowered his gun for a moment and took two involuntary steps back. What the? Marion took aim at the agent but hesitated. Hey, cutter, he called to the man in the puffy red jacket swishing up behind him. Are you seeing this? Cutter? He turned to his partner. Where's the kid? Wait, who were... Father Ignatius glowered at him from between the knit cap and the big red coat. Not Cutter. He snapped Duncan's revolver into Marion's temple, dropping him to the ground, and kicked the former detective's pistol, sending it skidding along the plastic sheeting to Father Michael. While Sasha descended on Marion, pinning him down in an arm lock, the two priests took aim at Biak, fanning out to 45 degrees and approaching him steadily in perfect sync. Love that look, Father Ignatius, Michael said. Very street. We will never speak of this again, Ignatius said. Biak swung his aim from one priest to the other. Back off! Back off! I don't want to do this, little man, Michael said. How about we cut a deal? You drop the piece, tell us where you're keeping the pastor, and we all live to see another day. What did you do to cut her? He asked, taking another step back, off the plastic drop cloth. He's doing penance, Ignatius answered, in the trunk of his car. Is he dead? Nothing a couple of casts won't fix, in time. Biak hesitated another moment, then dropped the gun and put his hands up. Would you like to cuff him, Agent Duncan? Ignatius asked. "'Duncan took an experimental step, then grimaced in pain "'and lowered himself gingerly back to the ground. "'I believe I may have some broken ribs,' he said. "'Here,' he held up a pair of handcuffs. "'You do it. I'm guessing Marion has a pair as well.' "'Michael took the cuffs. "'I've got sort of an awkward question for you. "'How are you still alive?' he asked. "'Kevlar vest.' "'Duncan pulled open his shirt. Fifth time one saved my life.' But you're bleeding, like, a lot. Duncan reached into his suit jacket, wincing in pain, and withdrew a shattered fragment of a glass bottle from the interior pocket. Red UV dye concentrate, he said. Bullet went right through the bottom. A gunshot rang through the cinder block basement. The revolver in Father Ignatius' hand chugged smoke, and a bullet hole leaked blood from between Marion's eyes onto the plastic beneath. In his lifeless left hand was a snub-nosed thirty eight. Father Sasha released the dead man's other arm and took a few steps back. The three priests knelt and crossed themselves, praying for the corrupt man whose Ark had taken him from upholding the law to defying it. "'Your firearm, Agent Duncan,' Ignatius said, handing it over. "'Thank you.' He secured it back in his ankle holster. "'It was a clean shooting. Unfortunate, but clean.' Gonna be a lot of paperwork, though. Michael checked his watch. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna make that flight. So sorry, Father Sasha offered. Eh, no problem. He pulled Cutter's hat from his mentor's head. You're freaking me out with that thing, man. Hey, where's Van? I sent him to the bell tower. The police will want to speak with him, of course, but no reason he should have to see this. He gestured at Marion's body. With Sasha's help, Duncan rose again to his feet and approached Biak, whose hands were now cuffed. Before I call this in, I need you to tell me two things. Where's Pastor Frong, and where's the money? Biak glared at him. Look, we've got you on a whole buffet of charges here, from attempted murder and unlawful imprisonment to conspiracy and carrying a concealed weapon, but if you don't want to tell us where the pastor is, it can actually get worse. You'll never see the outside of a prison again. He gave him a moment to think on that, before adding, You help me, I help you. And you want my help. I'm the guy you shot. Strong is in an abandoned house, three doors east of the place Cutter burned down. Number 624. And the money? Bjak sneered. (laughs) The priest just shot the only man who knew that. Maybe his house? Maybe somewhere in the church? It's a big building. Good luck. Get it straight, Duncan said. I shot Marion. Father Michael had only intended to grab a power nap. When the yellow crime scene tape had been wrapped, the respective FBI and police personnel had set up camp, and the endless questions and witness statements had finally come to an end, it was after 2 a.m. Another hour and a half went by, while the crime scene technicians did their thing, and the coroner removed the late Detective Marion. Shortly thereafter, the members of the Broadmoor Burmese Community Church had begun arriving, having been turned away from the police station due to their sheer numbers and exuberance, and showing little concern for the active crime scene. Pastor Strong had promised to return to the church as soon as the police finished their questioning, which prompted an impromptu worship service, full of music and prayers and rejoicing, showing no signs of waning, even now in the wee hours of the morning." Michael had leaned back in an old padded pew along the west wall of the basement auditorium and fallen asleep, despite the revelry. It was December 22 now, and they had been through the longest night of the year. When Michael opened his eyes and rubbed his stiff neck, the sun was shining in through the east windows of the church basement. Van was slumped against him, snoring and drooling, and up on the platform a thin young Burmese man with round glasses was preaching passionately in another tongue. When he saw Michael stirring, the pastor cut out mid-sentence and came rushing down. "'I am Trong,' he said in a thick accent, shaking Michael's hand. "'I have already thanked your friends. I am free because you cared about us.' Van rubbed his eyes and sat up. Seeing his pastor, he instantly awoke and rushed over to hug him in a vice grip around the waist. "'You see? We are all so happy,' Trong said. Even the baby Jesus, no longer crying.' Michael put a hand on Trong's shoulder. Cutter seemed to think you might have rigged that up. If you did, we understand. All is forgiven. Rigged up? Trong said, confused. I don't understand. Never mind. I'm glad you're safe. Why don't you get back to your service? I don't want to hold things up. Trong shook the priest's hand again and bowed slightly before returning to the pulpit and resuming his sermon. Hey, Van, Michael said, beckoning. Come here a minute. The boy followed him over to a door that bore the words CCD Supply Closet. Projected there, on the lacquered wood, about eye level for Michael, was what appeared to be a glowing image of the sun, not unlike the image on the Jesuit emblem. Michael craned his neck, looking back up at the platform, and found that the sunlight was glinting off the bare metallic fingertip of the babe in the manger, throwing a distinctive reflection onto the door, which he opened letting the light into the shallow closet. The image of the sun now appeared on the side of a cardboard box. Or maybe it was the image of a star. The priest pulled the box down from the shelf, and he was opening it when he noticed the little plumber access panel on the wall where the star from the east now hung, perfectly centered for just a moment before blinking out as someone pulled the curtains. Michael pushed on the access panel, and it gave way. Counting the money took some time, and Michael did it twice. Eighty-five thousand dollars, exactly. He weighed his options. He could turn it in as evidence, or along with the thirty grand the Burmese church had raised and the ten from the Knights of Malta, he stooped down to look Van in the eye. "'I'm going to put this money back,' he said. "'Sunday morning, I want you to come get it and give it to Pastor Hrong, okay?' Van nodded. "'You can help this neighborhood.' Show them Jesus' love. As they stepped back into the worship service, which now smelled quite strongly of cooking meat and eastern spices, they bumped into Father Ignatius. There you are, he said. Father Sasha is ready to drive us to the airport. We've been called to Panama. You're leaving? Van asked. Michael nodded. I'm afraid so. The boy hugged him for a few seconds, then locked Father Ignatius in a hug before running off to join a group of other children. Ignatius smiled a good lad. He cleared his throat. I will pray their church continues to thrive, wherever they may wind up. Well, Michael said, who knows how long we'll be in Panama, and I'm going to be really busy for a while when we get back. I mean, I haven't even bought you a Christmas present yet. I highly doubt I'll get around to filing the report for our findings until at least the first of the year. In the meantime, my money's on a Christmas miracle. They headed for the street. Where they could see Father Sasha's car waiting in the falling snow. Father Ignatius frowned. You really haven't bought me a Christmas present yet? You can read more about the Knights of Malta and The Last Khan, available now in paperback, hardcover, and ebook from HarperCollins Christian Publishing. And read more about the Jesuits' militant in Playing Saint, available now in paperback and ebook from HarperCollins Christian Publishing. And what's up with Parker? Who's this serial killer and what's waiting for Michael and Ignatius in Panama? Well, I'm glad you asked. You can check out the sequel, Playing Saint All Souls Day, available now in paperback, hardcover, and ebook at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and anywhere else you tend to buy books online. Clinch, a podcast of fiction and not fiction, is a Cardiff Giant production. Copyright 2017, Zachary Bartles. Produced in partnership with KD Enterprises. Theme music composed and performed by Bill Colin. Excerpted text from Clinch, a novel. Copyright 2017, Gut Check Press. Special thanks to WAC Productions, www.wacfilm.com. For more information about me and my books, visit zacharybartles.com. If you'd like to drop me a note, you can reach me by email at Zach at That's Zach with an H like God intended or through the U.S. mail at P.O. Box one zero 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 three Lansing, Michigan, four eight nine zero one. Naturally, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter at author Z Bartles. And if you're a little twisted, you might want to check out the Gut Check podcast. www.gutcheckpress.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening.